Well, hello everybody. Welcome everyone here. Welcome everybody on social media. So glad you've joined us today. Hey, we've been studying about the kings of, of, uh, of the Old Testament. We've been looking at the kings of, uh, remember the, the kingdom of Israel divided into two separate kingdoms, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And we've been uh, studying about the kings of Israel, kings of Judah, and learning lessons from the kings. So we haven't been looking at it from really a historical point of view, uh, but more from looking at the kings and learning lessons from things they did good and things that uh, that they didn't do good. And so, you know, it's hard to, to go into this without doing some history. So we've had some history involved with it. But uh, but the lessons of the kings, if you've missed any of our previous sessions, you can go back in our archives and find those. And, and I'd recommend that you do some fascinating lessons that we've had. Uh, we've learned about these kings up to now. And so let's let's continue on. Today with uh, Jehu, Jehu, J-E-H-U, he was the 10th king of Israel, the 10th king of Israel in the north, and he enjoys the distinction of being the only king of the divided kingdom of Israel to receive a generally positive evaluation from God. Think about that, the only one in the north that had a generally positive evaluation from God, but he was a mix of good and evil. He was a mix of good and evil. All the other kings of the, the divided kingdom of Israel uh, were considered evil, you know, as I, as I said. But unlike, now in Judah, there were some good kings. There were some good kings, and, uh, and, and, and we've seen that. Um, uh, but, uh, but anyway, uh, in the north, they were all evil except Jehu, and he was a mix. In Judah, there were some good ones, some evil ones in, in, in the south, but some good ones. But in the north, all evil except Jehu. And, uh, 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 and he, uh, he was a mix. He was an officer, uh, in Ahab's army. Remember, we studied Ahab earlier. And remember, uh, uh, Elijah, Elijah gave a prophecy against Ahab that, that Ahab's dynasty, uh, would be completely obliterated and, and wiped out. Uh, because of what he and Jezebel did to Naboth. Remember when they stole his vineyard and killed him and all of that? They killed him and stole his vineyard. And so uh, Jehu heard that prophecy that Elijah gave that, that God was going to wipe out Ahab's dynasty over again what happened to Naboth, what he and Jezebel did to Naboth. And, uh, and that's important. Uh, he heard that prophecy that God was going to wipe out uh, Ahab's descendants, okay? And, and, and of course, God didn't do it. Uh, remember, Ahab repented? Remember, he repented, and then God said that he would uh, not wipe out his dynasty or his descendants while Ahab was living, that he'd do it later. You know, remember that? We talked at great length about that. But anyway, Jehu was a, uh, he also was a commander of King Je Je uh, Jehoram's army, and we covered him in a previous session. So he was uh, involved in the army with Ahab and then with uh, Jehoram, who came after Ahab, you know, was a descendant of Ahab. And at the Lord's direction, uh, now listen to this, here's how uh, Jehu came to power. He was a military figure, a commander in the military. And at the Lord's direction, Elisha, now not Elijah, but Elisha, who was Elijah's servant, sent one of his servants, so Elisha sent one of his servants to anoint Jehu as king of Israel. So Jehu was not the descendant of a king. You know, most of the time the kings, you know, the successors of the kings would be their, their children and so forth. The son of the king would become the next king, you know, the, the eldest born or whatever. But, but uh, Jehu was not that. He was not the descendant uh, of a king. And, uh, and, and here's the thing, if you're taking notes, you need to know about Jehu. His purpose... His main purpose was to wipe out Ahab's descendants, his entire dynasty. That's why he, I mean, that's the main thing that he was, that he was to do. Uh, and remember now why, and I've already said it, but, but I want to repeat it. Why was Ahab's dynasty, his descendants to be wiped out? Because of what he and Jezebel did to Naboth. They murdered him and stole his vineyard. Remember that? We, we covered that at great length. 
And so now it's time for the prophecy that Elijah gave that Ahab's descendants would be wiped out. And that's why Jehu was commissioned and brought, brought to power. Uh, that's the main reason, as far as I'm concerned, was to wipe out Ahab's uh, uh, descendants. It's like George Patton. Remember General George Patton? He said, I was put on this planet to do one thing, to kill Nazis. Remember that? Well, Jehu was put here to wipe out Ahab's descendants. That, now, he did other things, but that's the main thing that he did. And uh, it was at the direction of the Lord. And uh, uh, he also, Jehu also, brought Jezebel's life to an end. And we saw that in a previous session. And we looked at how Jezebel died. Remember, she was thrown from the palace window and eaten by dogs. And we covered that at great length. But we didn't talk about Jehu. It was Jehu who commissioned, when he, as he was coming into power, came into power. He had Jezebel thrown from that uh, 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 palace tower. And uh, she fell to the ground and, and so forth and then was eaten by dogs. And we talked about that. But, uh, but Jehu was raised up by God as an instrument of his judgment, as I said, on the descendants of Ahab. And uh, listen to this, with great zeal for God... Now, not only did Ahab wipe out, uh, I'm sorry, not only did Jehu, not only did Jehu wipe out Ahab's descendants, but here's something else that he did that was good, and God didn't directly tell him to do this, but, but he did it, and, and it was a good thing as far as I'm concerned, is he completely destroyed Baal worship in Israel. And, and he did it through kind of a, uh, not kind of a, uh, uh, unscrupulous, way. Uh, he got all the Baal priests together and he told them that he was going to become a Baal worshiper. And Jehu told them, he said, well, he said, let's worship Baal. And I'm putting it in my own words now. And he got all the priests of Baal together. And, uh, but, but he, he wasn't telling the truth. Jehu wasn't. He just did that to get all the worshipers of Baal, the priests of Baal together. Baal's a false god, you know. He got, he, he, he used unscrupulous means to get Baal worshipers together and the priests and whatnot of Baal. But nonetheless, after he had them gathered there, he had them all executed. And, and he wiped out, he wiped out, so somebody might say, well, you know, he told a lie to, to, to bring about good, but so I'm going to leave that for you and, you and the Lord to work through, but I'm glad Baal was wiped out. How about you? Amen. In Israel. And, uh, and so he did that. And he wiped the Baal worship out in Israel, so that was a good thing. And God didn't directly tell him to do that, but he had zeal for the Lord. And he went ahead and did that. And uh, let me just read from my notes. Uh, for Jehu's obedience to God in wiping out Ahab's dynasty. Uh, for wiping out Ahab's dynasty, God rewarded Jehu with the longest dynasty in Israel's history. Uh, five generations, including himself. So him and then four more uh, of, his, of his, you know, descendants reigned. Um, and Jehu himself reigned for 28 years. And so with that all being said, he did right things. He, you know, again, he was the only king in the north uh, that was commended by God, you know, uh, uh, was considered uh, with a positive evaluation. But, but there was evil and, and, and unscrupulous things in him. And uh, he, go to Second Kings 10, if you would. You know, he, and something you will see as we go here, you know, you can do right things for God, but your heart not be completely right. Do you know that? We're going to see that. We'll get to one of these other kings here today, I think, and where, where he did right things, but not with a right heart. You know, it's important that our heart is right as we serve God. And not just do right things with a wrong heart. I've watched people for years and I've done it myself. I've done right things over the years at times, but, but my heart wasn't totally right when I was doing them. I don't know if that's ever, if you under, if you've ever done anything like that, you know? I mean, has anybody ever come to church in, on Sunday morning with their family and they were doing the right thing coming to church, but your heart really wasn't in it? You know, you didn't really want to come, you wanted to lay in bed longer or you wanted to go, you know, to some sporting event or whatever. I mean, you know, so you can do right things. I've watched people serve in the church over the years, you know, and they're doing right things, but they're always grumbling and going on, you know, 
And, and, and a lot of times, uh, they don't even, let me put it this way. They come week after week, month after month, year after year, and they serve God. And you find out later, let me put it this way, that during that whole time, they were grumbling and complaining in private. You know what I'm saying? I mean, so you can do right things, but your heart not be right. Let's learn this lesson. Let's not only do right things for God, but let's keep our hearts right. You know, I mean, if we're going to do the right thing anyway, let's go ahead and do, have a right heart. What do you say? And to get a full reward from God, I think we're not only going to have to do right things, we're going to have to do it with a right heart. Now, I'll tell you what, if your heart's not right, eventually, eventually, that unrightness in your heart will manifest in, in the natural realm. Jesus said out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. So whatever is going on in your heart, you can mask it for a long time. But whatever ultimately is in your heart eventually is going to come out. So, so let's don't just do right things, you know, with a wrong heart. Let's, let's let our heart be right and then do right things. And I tell you what, we'll get the full blessing from the Lord, you know. See, a lot of these things won't come up until the judgment seat of Christ. Remember when believers will be judged by the Lord Jesus Christ for their works done here on the earth? I'm talking about Christians. The judgment seat of Christ is not a heaven-hell judgment. That judgment took place at the cross through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. When we place our faith in Him, then, then we get saved. We become a Christian. We miss hell. We make heaven. And uh, we never have to stand before God based on the heaven-hell issue after we receive Jesus, you see. But there is a judgment seat of Christ for believers, Christians, where we'll be judged for the things we've done in our body, whether good or bad, here on earth as Christians, you see. And I think at that time is when God's going to look at our hearts and ask us, why did we do what we did when we did it? You know, why did you serve in the church? Why did you volunteer here? Why did you do this? Why did you, why did you give that money there? I mean, what was your motive? You see what I'm saying? And so we see this with these kings that they, they did, some of them did right things, but not with a loyal heart. So let's be, let's guard our hearts. What are you saying? Watch our hearts and be sure our hearts are right toward God. Because it's so easy, and learn, this is a major lesson in this whole series. Let's let, let's watch our hearts. Let's don't do right things for God with a wrong heart. You know. Now, thank God for the right things we're doing, but let's be sure our hearts are right. Okay. Because, yeah. like I said, if your heart's not right, eventually, what's in your heart is going to manifest and come out. Okay. And I want to say it again. I, I, people, for years and years, they'd come to church day after day, week after week, month after month. I shouldn't say day after day, but Sunday after Sunday. You know what I mean? Week after week, month after month. And they'd serve and do wonderful things, but then you'd find out later the whole time they were in private, crabbing, going on, complaining, moaning, groaning, you know. So they were doing the right thing, but not with a right heart. And I think it's going to cost those people uh, uh, reward at the judgment seat of Christ. Because I tell you what, if, you're really, if your heart is really right, you're not going to be crabbing and complaining about things going on at church in private. Did you, did you hear what I just said? If your heart's really right, okay? You understand what I'm saying? Okay. So anyway, so Jehu, and here's the thing with him. Now look at it here, 2 Kings 10, 28. He's, thus Jehu destroyed Baal from Israel. So I can say amen to that. He, that was good. But now watch this. Now, now this is interesting. However, Jehu did not turn away from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin, that is, from the golden calves that were at Bethel and Dan. Now, remember we talked about Jeroboam. He was the first king of the divided kingdom of Israel when Israel broke apart. And Israel in the north, Judah in the, in, in the south. And Jeroboam was the first king of the divided kingdom of Israel. And remember what he did? He set up uh, the, these golden calves. At, uh, at Bethel and Dan, and, and the people would worship these false gods at these two places. And we talked about that at great length earlier. But it's interesting. Now, now watch this. Learn something here. Jehu destroyed Baal from Israel. That's a false god. Now, isn't that wonderful? He, he, just, he wiped, I mean, he, even though it was done by unscrupulous means, but yet, yet it was done and he wiped. I mean, I, I'd like to wipe the devil out even if it was unscrupulous. Amen. I mean, you know, he's unscrupulous, right? Let's fight fire with fire, you know. But, but you know what I'm talking about? But, but he wiped out, now listen to this, he wiped out Baal worship. But he turns right around and the Bible says he did not turn away 
from the sins of Jeroboam, that first king who had made Israel sin, that is from the golden calves that were at Bethel and Dan. Now here's the question. Why would, why would uh, Jehu wipe out Baal, but then he'd turn right around and bow down to these golden calves in Bethel and Dan? Now that doesn't make any sense to me at all. Does it make, I mean, and some of these kings do things that don't make any sense. You can't figure out. You're scratching your head. Why would, why would that be? Right. Now, now, in fairness to them, have you and I ever done things that don't make a lot of sense? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Uh, so let's don't be too quick to point the finger at these guys. But here's, here's the thing that I would, would, would point out. Because people would ask, why? why? Why does he wipe Baal out over here, a false god, and turn right around and go over here and worship, bow down to these golden calves? And this is just something for thought. I, I think there's great truth in this. That first king had set up these golden calves. Okay? And all the way down, what had the people been taught to do? Worship the golden calves. And I'm convinced it became a tradition. We've always done it. And traditions, some can be very good, but I tell you what, traditions, if they're in line with the Word of God, tradition's great. But so many traditions, I'd say the majority of them are not in line with the Word of God. And they can be lethal and deadly. And Jesus said the traditions of men will make the Word of God of no effect. And, and if you study and you look at all those kings in Israel, the divided kingdom of Israel, every last one of them worshipped these golden calves, including Jehu, the only one who had a positive report generally from God. Why? Why? Why does he wipe out Baal over here, but turn around and worship the golden calves over here? I can't tell you for sure why, but I tell you what, I think I'm on to something here. Tradition. Tradition. And the traditions... I, you know, traditions are hard to get rid of. I'm talking bad traditions. They're hard to, they're hard to buck. You know what I mean? And, and I've watched them, I've watched them destroy churches over the years. And the people will get into a, into a flow, and that's the way it's always done, and that's the way we've always done it. And we're all, <laughs> yeah, but the Word of God says, but the Word of God says what you've been doing isn't, isn't right. We don't care what the Word of God says. We've always done it that way. Now, I care what the Word of God says, but I'm telling you, I've, I've dealt with people over, over, th over three decades where you'll show them from the Word of God that what you've been doing is not in line with the Word of God. What this church has been doing is not in line with the Word of God. Let's make an adjustment. Let's come more in line with the Word of God. Not more in line. Let's come right exactly in line with the Word of God and do away with that tradition. I tell you what, I tell, some people I, I would almost rather die than give up their tradition. Because I think to give up the tradition, they're going to have to admit they were wrong and I, I may be exaggerating a little bit but there's a lot of people who would rather die than admit that he's wrong Amen. you know what I'm saying yes. Amen. and so I think that don't you think that's a good explanation why did all those kings why did Jehu he wipes out Baal over here turns right around worships these golden calves they've always they always did it that's that's what they were taught to do they always did it it was always there and and that's people wanted that after time that's what the people wanted that's what they always did I think I'm on to something here. Tradition. We need to, what lesson do we learn? Are there traditions in your life that aren't in line with the Word of God? And if they are, you need to get them out. Admit you were wrong and change and line up with the Word of God. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Now let's read on here. And uh, verse 30, And the Lord said to Jehu, Because you have done well in doing what is right in my sight. Now what he's talking about here is not the worshiping of the golden calves. That's not, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about wiping out Ahab's descendants. He said, and have done, and then he goes on to say, and have, I explained it, I should have just read on. And have done, to, and let me start over at verse 30. Because you've done well in doing what is right in my sight and have done to the house of Ahab all that was in my heart, your son shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. So we already talked about that. So he pleased God. He did what God told him to do. Wipe out Ahab's descendants. 
But now watch verse 31. But Jehu, now look at this. Remember I said he was a mix of good and evil. We can already see that with the worship of the golden calves. Right? He wiped out Baal. That was good. But he's worshiping the golden calves. That's evil. Mix of good and evil. But verse 31. But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord God of Israel with all his heart. For he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam who had made Israel sin. And that was the worship of, the, of those golden calves. So, so he's, he's got a zeal for God. Did you know you have, the Bible says in the, in the New Testament, you can have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. I mean, you can have a zeal for God and be doing the wrong stuff. And do the right stuff. And have a mix. And so we see that he, he had a mix about him. He had a zeal for the Lord. And at times he'd do right things and at times he'd do wrong things. And for the right things, God rewarded him. But for the wrong things, well, what, what about the wrong things? What did God do to him for the wrong things? Well, it's interesting. If you go to the book of Hosea, chapter 1, verse 4, the prophet Hosea uh, had, uh, was having children. And we could teach for hours on Hosea, but let's just keep it to this one verse. And, and, and the Lord told him to name, I believe this was his first son, call his name, now this is Hosea 1-4, the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel. And that's interesting, because this has everything in the world to do with Jehu. He said, call his name Jezreel, for in a little while I will avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu. And bring and bring an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel, which happened many generations later. But God was upset about something that took place in Jezreel that Jehu did. And Hosea brings it out. And uh, he, he had and prophets sometimes would name their sons and children names that would have to do with coming judgments or coming events and so on. And this is this is uh, one of those cases. God told Hosea, who was a prophet of God, name your son Jezreel for in a little while. And remember, a little while to God is different than a little while to us. Right. One day is with the Lord a thousand years, a thousand years, one day. So, you know, when, when, when a thousand years go by to us, it's like one day to the Lord. You understand that. But nonetheless, in a little while, I, God's going to avenge the bloodshed of Jezreel on the house of Jehu. So Jehu did something in Jezreel that the Lord didn't like. Now, he wiped out all of Ahab's dynasty. And that was good. And he got rewarded for that. Going to have generations sitting on the throne of Israel. But something happened to Jezreel that the Lord wasn't happy with. And you say, well, what, 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 what was it? What was it? Well, let's go to 2 Kings 10 verse 6 and let's see. 2 Kings 10 verse 6. Um, Ahab had 70 grandsons that were in Samaria. And when Jehu came to the throne, he challenged, uh, he challenged these descendants of Ahab. And the uh, people that were overseeing these grandsons, and I'm convinced they were not all fully grown. Some of them were. I don't think all of them were. Now, God wanted Ahab's dynasty wiped out. There's no question about that. But these grandsons were in Samaria, and Jehu comes to power and he challenges them and the people overseeing them surrender to Jehu. So these 70 grandsons of Ahab are in a surrender mode. Okay? They're in a surrender mode. Now you need to realize that. And so Jehu had written a letter and, and basically the, the overseers, the custodians of these grandsons, they, uh, they surrender. And so then Jehu sends a second letter, and notice 2 Kings 10, verse 6, then he, Jehu, wrote a second letter to them, to the custodians of Ahab's 70 grandsons, saying, If you are for me and will obey my voice, take the heads of the men, your master's sons, and come to me at Jezreel, see, at Jezreel, by this time tomorrow, now the king's sons... These were those 70 grandsons, if you study into it. 70 persons were with uh, the great men of the city who were uh, rearing them. See, they were raising them. So some of these were younger. 
So it was when the letter from Jehu came to them, to these custodians of these 70 grandsons, that they took the, the king's sons, it actually was Ahab's grandsons, and slaughtered them, all 70 of them, and put their heads in baskets and sent them to Jehu at Jezreel. Now, God wanted these people exterminated. But Jehu not only exterminated them, he had their heads chopped off. And not only that, uh, look at verse 8. Then a messenger came and told Jehu, saying, They have brought the heads of the king's sons. And he said, Lay them in two heaps at the entrance of the gate until morning. Now, God wanted them exterminated. It was judgment for Naboth in the vineyard, okay? But here's the thing. Now, what did I say? I said that, that in Hosea, God was going to judge Jehu for something that happened in Jezreel. Now, God rewarded Jehu for exterminating Ahab's descendants. But can you see right here that there's killing these 70s one thing but having their heads chopped off put in baskets bringing them to Jezreel and stacking them in heaps was unnecessary I mean it, it, it's kind of like when uh, uh, have you ever heard of piling on in football the quarterback is tackled and he's down the play's over but then you have a bunch of other guys pile on and hit him after he's down and there's a penalty. You can't do that. Right? Can't do that. You get penalized, don't you? Once the quarterback is down, you get another five or six guys piling on. You can't do that. You know, it, it, it's like after a boxer would be knocked down and the bell has rung and he's got blood coming out everywhere and he's out. And then you just come over there and just, you know... Well, you, you see it. Well, you don't see it, I guess, in boxing, but you see it in wrestling, professional wrestling. You know, they'll have a, they'll have you know uh, they'll have the wrestler down and he's bleeding and he's out, down and out, and he's already lost the match. You know, and then they'll bring in a steel chair and keep beating on him. You know, now boxing's real, wrestling. Sorry, it's it's fake. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but do you see that beating somebody's one thing, but piling on is something else? And God wanted these exterminated, these seventy. They because a neighbor, oh, well, that seems really hard that God would require that. Well, go talk to Naboth's family. Naboth, they, they set him up. They, 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 they did a conspiracy against him. Remember that? They murdered him and his sons and stole his vineyard. And God is, uh, is, is, is making, he's balancing the scales here. But they, so, so these 70 needed to be exterminated. They just didn't need to have their heads cut off in my opinion, put in baskets, brought there and put out and, you know, stack them up out front. And there was something about Jehu. There was a bloodthirstiness about him. You know, let me read from my notes here. Listen to this. It's not what was done, but the way it was done. They needed to be exterminated, but in my opinion, not that way. There was no, there already, you could have killed them and not, isn't this fun talking about this in church? But, but it's in the Bible. They could have been dead, they could have been killed without having to do this. It's almost like when a, back to football, when a touchdown is scored, you know, and they'll do that razzmatazz and the, you know, and they'll spike the ball. And I mean, that's kind of what Jehu's doing here, in my opinion. There's no reason for it. And I think it displeased the Lord. It was almost touting the touting. You can see a pridefulness, in my opinion. And, and, and so God's going to deal with him over this. And, uh, and not only that, if you read verse 11. So Jehu killed all who remained of the house of Ahab. In Je there it is, in Jezreel. But he did something else. Not only the 70 heads in the baskets... But all, so, so it said, he killed the remaining of the house of Ahab in Jezreel 
but he didn't only just kill, who was he supposed to kill? Ahab's descendants, but look who else he killed. And all his great men and his close acquaintances and his priests until he left him none remaining. It almost looks like overkill here. He's looks to me like, in my opinion, he's killing people now that he didn't need to necessarily kill at the direction of the Lord. And there's speculation amongst scholars as to as to what it, what I'm telling you. Some would debate me and say that's that's not that you know, but from my study of it, I, I, that's what I what I feel was what God why Hosea why God was going to visit judgment back on uh, Jehu. It wasn't what he did; it's the way he did it in this bloodthirstiness. Uh, you see this elsewhere in the Bible when God would use a heathen nation. To bring judgment on his people, his people that were in sin and wouldn't repent, and God would use a heathen nation to bring judgment. But then later on, he'd go back and deal with that heathen nation. And in some cases, if I'm not mistaken, they'd be a little too harsh even with God's people, and God would go back and revisit that, uh, re- revisit that nation and, 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 and judge them for being too harsh. You see this, uh, with, in the book of Habakkuk, especially when Habakkuk questioned God for using the Babylonians to bring bring judgment and God said, you know, just hold on, walk by faith and we'll come back and deal with them later. And that's what's happening here, in my opinion. He used Jehu to eliminate Ahab's descendants, but Jehu was bloodthirsty and, and piled on and, and, and taunted, in my opinion. Do you see where I'm coming from? There's killing somebody's one thing, but then, you know, cutting their head off and sticking it on a, you know, piling them up out there. There was no reason for that. And God didn't like that, in my opinion. And so he judged him later on. What do you think? So a little history there. But you know, a lot of people probably did. How many had ever heard of the 70 heads in the baskets? You heard of, you'd heard of the 70 heads in the baskets? You had or you hadn't? How many never heard of the 70 heads in the baskets? So now I could title this 70 heads in the baskets. <laughs> Well, it's good to know, isn't it? Is it the Word of God? Is the anointing on the Word of God? So you can get healed, right? I said you can get healed, talking about 70 heads in the basket, because it's the Word of God, right? <laughs> All right, so then let's move on now, since you've had enough of a lot of bloodshed here. Let's move on. Uh, now, Jehu had a son, Jeho- Jeho- Jehoahaz. <laughs> Can you give me one preacher that's never mispronounced uh, one of these names in the Bible? Jehoahaz, Jehoahaz. But we're not going to talk about him. There's no real lessons there that I feel led with him to talk about. But I do want to talk about Jehu's grandson, uh, Joash. Now remember, there was a Joash Joash in in, uh, uh, Judah. We've already covered him. We talked about him last week. But there was a Joash, and you need to realize in the Bible, some Bibles list these names, they give them a little bit differently than, than, than you know, there's, there's different spellings of them. But, but this is the Joash, now who's the grandson of Jehu, and he's, uh, he is in, uh, in, in uh, Israel. We've already talked about the Joash of Judah. This is the Joash of Israel. And look at 2 Kings 13, verse 10. In the 37th year of uh, Joash, king of Judah, Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, became king over Israel. So you had one in Judah and one in Israel. This is the one in Israel. Uh, in Samaria and reigned 16 years. He, now this guy did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam. Now he didn't depart either from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, walked in them. That has to do with those golden calves. See, these kings didn't leave the worship of those golden calves. Not a one of them. Tradition. We talked about that. And he walked in idol worship, the worship of the golden calves. But, but this guy, he did, he did show some devotion to God. And, and, it, and it, it shows up in his dealings with Elisha. His dealings with Elisha. Go to 2 Kings 13. And uh, look at verse 14. Now, now notice this. this. We're talking about King Joash of Israel. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord. But, but you can see that he had some respect for God insofar as that he respected 
one of his servants, the prophet Elisha. You know, you can tell how much people respect God by looking at how they respect the people he sends them. Did you hear what I just said? You know, it, when people are talking bad about their pastor, you know what? They've just shown me they don't have much respect for the Lord. Because the way you treat his servants is the way you really feel about the Lord. Now, I'm not talking about a pastor who has gotten off in, in some error or sin. Or, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about I've seen good men of God trying to serve God with all their hearts. And nobody's perfect, including me. And I've watched church members over the many years, not only in this church, but many others, just rip their pastors to shreds with their tongues. And you know, when you show disrespect to his servant, you're showing disrespect to the Lord. You just are. And uh, and so with Joash here, you can see that he did evil. All right. But he did have some respect for the Lord because of the way he treated Elisha. Now, look at Second Kings 13, verse 14. Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. Then Joash. Now, we're going to come back to that. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him. And wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. Well, this is what Elisha said when Elijah was caught up to heaven. So he was, he came to Elisha's deathbed and was paying homage to him. I think that's, that's pretty good. All the evil that this guy did, but at least we're seeing him show some respect to the prophet of God. And uh, and then you can read on there how Elisha told him to take a bow and arrows and and, and and he shot one out. I'll put this speed this up. He shot one out the window and then Elisha told him to go shoot some more. And he shot the ground three times and he came back and Elisha was there on his deathbed and he was upset with Elisha was upset with Joash because he should have shot the ground more times. And you can read all of that. And he said, if you'd have shot it more time, shot the arrow into the ground more times, you'd have had victory over over your enemy. But because you only shot it three times, you're only going to have three victories and ultimately you're going to fall into the hands of the enemy. You can read all of that okay I'm not going to go through all of that but the point that I wanted to get at here is a lesson not necessarily from this king but from Elisha and his death look at verse 14 2nd Kings 13 14 Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die now First of all, you need to realize who Elisha was. He was a, pro a major prophet of God. He didn't have a, he didn't pen a book, but he was a major prophet in the Old Testament. He was the successor of Elijah. And if you look at Elisha's life, he, the, the, the power of God flowed through him to heal other people and work miracles. Okay? And now he's laying on his deathbed sick of the illness by which he would die. And then it's interesting, if you go down to verse 20, in the process of time, Elisha died after that incident with uh, Joash here and shooting the arrows. I won't get into all that. But in the process of time, Elisha died and they buried him. Verse 20. And the raiding bands from Moab invaded the land in the spring of the year. So it was as they were burying a man that suddenly they spied a band of raiders and they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. He was resurrected just by touching the bones of Elisha, who had already, who had already died and so forth. Now, here's the question. Why was Elisha sick? Why did he die sick? He brought God's healing miracles to others. Isn't that a good question? Is that a good question? And on top of that, the power of God on his dead bones raised the dead. Right? So think about, I mean, think about this. Here's Elisha on his, on his, on his, on his bed, deathbed, sick with an illness by which he would die. A man who in his life had brought healing miracles to others, like Naaman, I believe it was. Remember, healed of leprosy and so forth. Remember that? Raised the dead when he was alive. Raised the dead, right? Miracles, healing power. 
But now he's sick laying on his deathbed. And then he went on and died. No doubt up in years, I, I suppose, no question. But now the question, why, why is this man sick? Why is he sick? One who healed so many others. And he lay there and then he goes and he dies. And then sometime later, there's enough power in those bones huh, to raise somebody from the dead. But yet, why did he die? Sick. Isn't that a good question? Isn't that a good question? And you want the answer, don't you? <laughs> you know, many legitimate ministers in days gone by right here in the United States who carry the healing power of God to multitudes died sick. I'm thinking of one man, I won't call his name, but one man laid hands on so many people and people. Now, not everybody got healed in these, in these great crusades. Did you know not everybody got healed in Jesus' ministry? Did you know that? Everybody could have. But there in Nazareth, the Bible said he could do no mighty work. Not that he wouldn't, he couldn't because of their unbelief. Remember that? But there's one minister that he laid hands on so many multitudes of people that... Years later, when he got up in, in years, they had to do surgery on his, on his, on his shoulders or whatever because he laid, I think it was on his shoulders because he laid hands on, why? On so many people, why, why would he need that? If the power of God's flowing through him to others, why would, why? Why, why? Isn't, isn't that a good question? It's a good question, isn't it? Now, we all are aging, aren't we? Unfortunately. Unfortunately. And the Bible says it's appointed unto humans once to, man, man wants to die, right? Is that right? So we're not going to escape that unless the rapture happens. Is that right? Is that correct? And, uh, but, but you know, I, I like the way uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, I like the way he went. He called his sons in. I don't see any sickness in his body. He was up in years. He called his sons in. And laid hands on him and prophesied to him, if I'm not mistaken. And then he pulled his feet up into his bed, dismissed his spirit, and that was it. He went, went, went to paradise. Isn't that the way to go? And I believe it was Balaam, who was a false prophet, or I think he was a prophet of God who got goofed up with the prosperity message. I believe in the prosperity message, but it can go too far. And when you go too far with it, it'll blind you spiritually. But that's what happened to Balaam, in my opinion. But he made the statement, he wanted to die the death of the righteous. That's the kind of death I want to die. How about you? Amen. And I think you see that death of the righteous there with, uh, in its full manifestation with Israel, the way he died. Unfortunately, not everybody, I'm talking about good Bible-believing people, get to go out that way. I like the way my mama, she said it many times. She said, I don't want to suffer. And when my time comes, I want to go to sleep and not wake up. And I tell you what, she got, she got it close, real close. I'd, I'd take the exit that she got, I'd take that. No suffering and went to sleep, didn't wake up. Yeah. Amen. Amen. But, uh, but here, why would ministers who have the power of God flowing through them why? why? Why did Elisha die sick? Why? Why? Why did the Apostle Paul leave that one guy? I, I, wanna, I can't remember his name right now, but he left him, I want to say Trophimus or something like that, at Miletus sick. Why, didn't the power of God flow through the Apostle Paul? Yes or no? Yes. Why did he leave one of his associates at that one place sick? Why wouldn't the healing power of God just flow through Paul? Heal that guy. Well, why didn't the healing power of God just flow through Jesus and heal all those people in Nazareth? Well, it was because of their what? Unbelief. Unbelief. But, but back on Elisha here. Why, why do you see tele, televangelists who were really legitimate? Most of them aren't. I'm not taking it back. but, but a lot, uh, Most of them aren't, but some of them are. We're very good ministers. And you've seen them over the years, and yet they ministered healings, power of God to many people, but yet they get older and whatnot, they die sick. Um, I know 
you know, we, before we went on social media, I was talking about the healing lines that we used to have in here and the power of God that used to flow in here. And during those healing lines, and I've laid hands on multitudes of people and I've seen multitudes of people healed, but I had not seen everybody got healed. I'm in good company. Neither did Jesus, right? Neither did Paul. Is that right? That's good company, isn't it? But we saw, we saw multitudes of people healed in here over the many, many years, almost three decades. But you know what? There were times during those healing lines when I'd lay hands on people that I, I was dealing with something in my body. And the power of God, I'm talking the sickness in my body, and the power of God would flow through me and it would flow into people and it would heal them. And yet, it, I never one time in all the, in the multitudes of people I laid hands on, the power of God flowing through me to them, not one time did I ever get healed. And once in a while, I was a couple of times, just a few times, I had sickness in my body. Not one time did I ever get healed by that power. It was there for the people. It wasn't there for me. It was there for the people. I had to get it on my own, in private, going before God and believe in God and trust in Him. Now, I'm not saying that any, any minister that, that's lived, that's ministered the power of God, that they get sick and as they go along and die, I'm not saying that they don't have faith. Say amen. I'm not saying they don't have faith. I'm not saying that they, they don't have faith and I do. I'm not saying that. And my story hasn't been finally written yet either. So, you know. You know, you understand what I'm talking about here. I'm not saying they don't have faith. I'm just saying that just because you lay hands on multitudes of people, you're a legitimate minister, not a charlatan, but a legitimate minister. The power of God's flowing through you to others. That power is there, not that power that flowed through Elijah and Elisha, Elisha wasn't there for him, it was there for others. That power that flowed through all these different healing evangelists was there for the people, not for them. Flowed through Elisha, not for him, but for the people, for Naaman and others. And power that flowed through me here in this, in this place wasn't there for me, it was there for the people. The minister has to go get it on his own, on his own faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God and getting in the word of God and digging it out. You know, I noticed in the healing ministry as time went on, uh, early on, we'd lay hands on people and we'd get them healed, 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 healed. But I noticed something about church members, people that attended here regularly. I, I watched this over, over time. The people that attended here regularly, I wasn't seeing them getting healed anymore by me laying hands on them like at the beginning. But now you get visitors come in, people come in that didn't know too much about the Word of God. We laid hands on them and we, now we didn't get them all healed, but we got a lot of them healed. They didn't know too much, see. But over time, as I'd lay hands on the, the regulars, people that come week in, week out, week in, week out, hearing the Word of God, I'd notice when they'd come up in the healing lines and we'd lay hands on them, the, the results started to diminish and it got to the point where I'd laid hands on them, there was just no power there at all, nothing, and it wouldn't get them healed. Why? Because, answer is easy, they were hearing the word, they needed to have that faith built in themselves and go to God and get it themselves because they should have been maturing. Can you say, say amen to that? Do you see what I'm talking about? But you get somebody in off the street that doesn't know anything, you lay hands on them, we get them healed. Now, I'm not saying Elisha didn't have faith. This is one of the main prophets of the Bible. He's a man of God. I'm not worthy to shine his shoes. Okay? But I'm just saying that he was on his deathbed sick. He died of an illness while the power of God flowed through him in his life. And then even after he's dead, there's enough power in his bones to raise the dead. Why didn't it affect him? Why didn't it hit him? He's a great man of God. And look, I am not putting him down. Say amen. I'm not putting him down. I am not worthy to shine his shoes. He's a great prophet of God. But what I am telling you, you want me to give you the ultimate answer to everything I've been telling you in the last, talking about in the last... Ten minutes. You want me to give you the, the answer? I will give you the answer. You ready? I don't have the first clue. I don't know. All I have, we see through a glass darkly. And all I can do is just give you those little glimmers that I gave you. And I'm not going to point the finger at him because I point the finger at him. I got what? Three others coming back at me. 
And I, I, I've never been even close to what that man is. Elisha. You understand that? So I don't know. And I tell you what, I think we do ourselves a disservice a lot of times to spend too much time on these things. I don't know all the answers. I don't know. But it is interesting, isn't it? Is It is interesting. Did you get anything out of this today? Uh, let me close right here and say this. Now we've got seven more kings of Israel. Seven more kings of Israel to go, but we're not going to cover any of them. Uh, there's not really a lot there from my view as it pertains to the purpose of this series on lessons from the kings. We'll be better served to spend our time on Judah's remaining kings. And uh, as, as time went on, Israel fell into uh, Assyrian captivity because of their idolatry and their refusal to repent. And eventually they, were, uh, they fell into Assyrian captivity and were no more. And God used the Assyrians to bring judgment on them. Okay? So what we'll do in the rest of the time that we have over the next weeks is we'll go back to Judah and we'll, we'll go through Judah and finish. There's several more kings and a lot of wonderful lessons. Next week, Amaziah, lessons there. And then my most favorite one of all, Uzziah. We're going to talk about him next after, after uh, Amaziah. And we may get both those in next week. And then we got some other kings. Hezekiah's coming up. A lot of lessons there. Manasseh, a lesson on God, uh, repentance and how God's mercy is shown. And a lot of good things coming up, okay? All right? So if you want an assignment for next week, I know I gave you 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd uh, 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 Chronicles. But what I want you to read for next week is 2nd Chronicles 25 and 2nd Chronicles 26. And we'll just see how far we get. Okay. Again, was this, did, did this help you at all today? Did you get anything? Did you get anything out of it? All right. Well, hey, if you're out there and you're watching on social media and you've never received Jesus as your Savior, I want to encourage you to repent of your sins and call on his name. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. And if you'll do that, you'll miss hell. You'll make heaven when you die, and he'll make your life worth living in the meantime. So thanks for joining us today. God bless you, and bye-bye.